0: So my heavy hitters and lockdown defenders, welcome to the Lockdown Defense Podcast, episode one hundred and two. We going to old school this week. I'm your host, Coach Defense. Listen, man, it is a uh, definitely a luxurious and glorious holiday week. I want to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving, a happy holiday week. Hope you spend a good time with your family and things of that nature. But um, yeah, man, uh, Coach Kurt had to uh, do a little thotting and bopping uh, in 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 the holiday streets this week, so we couldn't do sports talk. So I had the grandiose idea of bringing it back old school this week and give you another full-on podcast. And uh, we haven't done one in quite some time. Uh, ever since the advent of the 30-minute lockdown, we've been, uh, been podcast lists in the full sense, man. So we're going to bring it back for one week at least. We're we'll going to bring it back for one week at least because I have things to get off my chest. I definitely, definitely got the same things to talk about, man. Some things to talk about. So we're going to get into it, man. We're going to have to get into it today. This is dropping on Wednesday morning at 11 a.m. So on all your popular platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, uh, YouTube as well. Like, comment, subscribe if you love the content as well. If you have not done so, but we're gonna get into it. We're gonna get into a heavy listen. I got some things to get off my chest about the Lakers, uh, the Chargers, <laughs> the, the Bengals, the Warriors. We're gonna get into it. Steelers, we yeah, we we got we got some things to get off, man. We got some things to get off. So listen, buckle up, strap with you the bucket chin straps, get you know, get your good drink, and uh let let's go, let's go to work. Let's go to work. So let's start off with NBA news. We're going to talk about news and views of the NBA. Um, you know, there's an old saying in, in in the stratosphere, music industry, entertainment industry is, you know, in large part, when you have done great things, you're a legend in your, in your own right in your discipline. You know, they never really truly miss you until you're dead or you're gone, right? And I really feel like that people are really, uh, truly going to miss LeBron James when he's gone. You know, uh, he's definitely not, you know, going to leave us, you know, Earth, you know, God willing, for easy, for a long time. But he's going to leave the basketball stratosphere, you know, sooner rather than later. You know, he's got, you know, God willing, a few more years. You know, maybe one or two, maybe three, depending on how far he feel like he can push for all the time. But you know, his, he had way more days behind him than he does ahead of him. Let's just put it that way. But what we really have to understand, and and I'm still up to this very day of me recording this podcast. It was struggling with the idea why he was so hated on. Like, I really thought like the vitriol and the hate for him has ultimately, you know, been unfair in a lot of cases. I really felt like that people uh, honestly, truly, you know, for such a stand-up a guy, you know, what reason did you really have to hate him? And I come to the realization, and it's funny, it kind of came from a guy by the name of Jeff T. If you're familiar with Jeff T, he was a former NBA player. He's a, slight, it's a little bit of a podcaster now. He's been on a few shows. He's quite entertaining, actually. So hopefully he does his own show at some point. But Jeff T kind of had a light bulb go off on me. Like he he said a little in a little interview that he did, an excerpt, that he said um, you know, his biggest issue with LeBron is the fact that uh, you know, he couldn't couldn't do nothing with him. Like he was just in his way. Like I can never beat that guy. Pause. Like, you know, I can never defeat him in a in a game. Like he was just too great. He was just too good. And I really feel like that's what the issue is with people. If you love LeBron, you love him. But if you hate him, it's typically in, and likely due to the fact that you hate him because of the fact that he's just too good as an NBA player. Like, somebody shouldn't be that good at every facet, you know. And then, again, the way he plays basketball and the level of the basketball he can play, all the way up to his what people like to say nowadays, his big age of 38, almost 39 years old, is remarkable. It's remarkable. I mean, he literally, literally looks like he hadn't lost, you know, much of anything uh, from an athletic prowess, you know, from a basketball acumen, anything. So I really feel like that if people really truly hate on him and don't want, want to knock him down pegs on the greatest of all time list or, or just, just Mount Rushmore in general, you just hate the fact that he's this that damn good. I just, I'm going to be real with you. I think that's the problem. I really do. Um, but truly, I think we really have to get into the idea of uh, appreciating who LeBron James is. Yeah, Again, he'll be 39 at the end of next month, right? He's 38.9 years old. That's why I like to equate it as a mathematical, like, mathematical perspective. 38.9 years old. And let's just look at what he's doing this season. And I can think we're about 15 games in at this point. So let's just look and see exactly what he's doing as, as a player. He is averaging 26.4 points a game, 8.2 rebounds, 6.5 assists. He's shooting 67% from the field. At 38.9 years old. I mean, come on. I mean, just listen. Nobody that has, has played up to the level of his age that he is at at this moment has come anywhere close to that, have sniffed anywhere close to that. I think that mo- the highest average for a 38-year-old player was, was like 6.9 points a game. I mean, that's clearly a 20-point uh, skewer that he's on. He's 20 points above the league average of 38, 39-year-old players you know, because you had some players like Vince Carter and a few others that played up to 39, and they were not averaging nowhere near close to anything of this realm in the this, in this stature. Not only the fact that he is the doing this at a clip of 26 points, four, four points a game, he's also doing it and, and looking like practically the best player in the, in the game right now. I mean, he's looking like a top five and not top three, maybe maybe top one player in the game just based upon his performances in his first 15 games. And and, and, and as a Lakers fan, to be honest with you, he's needed it. They've needed it, and you know, I I really gonna get into the idea why we, that that kind of needs to change at some point soon. But just what he's doing right now is remarkable. I mean, let's let's just say what it is, you know. And I really feel like that people really need to start to appreciate the greatness of LeBron man, like because has done anything close to this at this age and being this dominant. I mean, let's just be real about it. Like I said, and his dominance is truly based upon the fact that you can't conquer him. You know, he can guard every position. You know, he's been all defensive team multiple times, MVP multiple times, scoring leader, assist leader. You know, I mean, again, like I said, you know, is what player have you known in, in the history of the game can guard all five positions in any stretch of his life? You know, that, and, that's, and that's the thing. And that's why I think people need to understand that once he's gone and you look at the future, if you look down the line of who is going to be, you know, next up or, or going to take the reins that he's, that he's held for 20 some odd years, there's not one. It, it might be a myriad or, or, or a company of people that can hopefully carry the league after this point. But the way LeBron has carried this league and been a face of this league for 20-plus years, is can't. it's not going to be duplicated. So when he leaves, the game is going to change. I'm not going to say the game is going to be you know, a failure or fall off or, or do things that are going to be less appealing per se. But I think the NBA understands that once LeBron retires, it's going to be different. It really is. So just understand and appreciate the man for what he is, because, again, once he's gone, he's not coming back. That's just a fact. You know, just age and, and what else he has accomplished. I mean, 39,000 points, all-time leader score, four-time champion, hopefully five-time if I have my way. And, I mean, again, you know, most MVPs, he, he, it's nothing left for him to do. You know, outside, like I said, he maybe wants to play with his son and something of that in the realm. But, I mean, that's out, you know, that's far out, you know, because Bronny's still recovering from his – health issues and things of that nature. So he's need, need to work himself back. So I would argue that he's probably two years away from being in the league. So LeBron got to play this year and next year with the hopes of the third season playing with Bronny. So, but yet again, very, very, very close to the end of this reign, And, and I use rain on purpose because again, they call him King James, you know, so understand that LeBron is a person, as a man, as a player, and a, as a all time, great NBA player it should be appreciated. You know, if you choose to hate on him, you're just doing it for clicks, and 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 yeah, I guess you can shake shock value and things of that nature. It shouldn't be anything that you should honestly can truly parts of the state and have a good faith argument to say why he is in he is one of the greatest players, if not the greatest player of all time. I mean, it's just it's hard it's hard to argue that. You know, I mean, again, and I think people argue it only due to the fact that they their player that they will have to be knocked down a peg is their favorite player, and they don't want to do that. I mean, I mean, granted, I mean, I'm a Kobe Bryant, Bryant loyalist, enthusiast, any superlative, actually, if you want to put on it, me being a Kobe Bryant guy, I am. You know, I'm always going to hold Kobe near and dear to my heart, you know, garbage or so. But, you know, I got to respect the fact that LeBron has done great things. You know, I mean, Kobe might be a more lethal savant at basketball, at his position, but what LeBron's done over the course of 21-plus years in the league, it's up there, man. I mean, he just the level in career he's had, you know, it's just again, he's paving the way for guys to take this game to a completely different stratosphere. They wasn't fathomable when he came into the league. I mean, just respect. I'm just giving respect. I'm not trying to, you know, belabor the point of just trying to, you know, you know, you know, jump on his bandwagon because he's a Laker. But, you know, I just have to give give credit where credit's due, man. The dude is going to be missed. I'm here to tell you. But not not now too much on lebron itself but his 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 tenure with the lakers you know um, i think that people have to understand come to gruz to when i get down to breaking down the lakers as a team at a, as a moment at the 2023 2020, 2024 version of the lakers understand that he is great he is dominant but their dependency on him at 38 almost 38 39 years old is an issue you know um, you shouldn't have to even though he is great and he's you know transcending time he shouldn't have to depend on that much of him at 38 almost 39 years old you shouldn't and i think the biggest issue that the, the lakers have is that uh the, the ad and the role players haven't haven't uh, been consistent in doing more as uh, to take the pressure off him because again you don't want to run into a situation like it was last year where he had to be on the floor consistently in order for you to even have a shot at being competitive you know, to the point where you can't win games without him, uh, even on middle, in, even when we come down to middle of the road teams. You have to be able to win games, you know, complimentary of him being there. But he shouldn't be the determining factor. Your plus minus shouldn't be astronomically different with him on and off the court. You got you got people that have, you know, I, you know, I guess you can say all star or potential all star pedigree on his team that can take the reins and they need to. You know, guys like Rui, D'Angelo Russell, Austin Reeves, you know, to name a few, Gabe Vincent off the bench, Jerry Vanderbilt, who when they come back off injury, those guys need to step up and and play a better role um and take the pressure off LeBron because you want to be able to manage him um, you know, in his minutes and come down to the idea of him being healthy and spry in the playoffs, where if you need him to take over a game, he can. But if he's hampered, harbored, or tired, or can't get a lift off his legs because he is getting older, he can't do that much like he was in the pre- in the previous playoff run last season. You're not going to you're not going to make it where you want to make it. It's just that's just the brass tacks of it all. It it really it really, that's really what really really boils down to. So we have to understand that LeBron is you know who he is, and you just look at his game logs. You know from the game now they did play the Jazz uh, this uh, past uh, Tuesday night um you know leading to Wednesday morning, but uh, again, I'm recording this you know preemptively, so you know he's had i want to say six see, one two three four, five five thirty point games and like six twenty point games you know just to just to name a few he, he i think he had a triple double or two at least two triple doubles in here uh I mean, come on. You know, just what he's doing at this moment is just immaculate. But again, like I said, from a Lakers' perspective, they got to fix things because you can't, you can't completely rely on him for eight two games to be Herculean at 38 or in 39 years old. You can't. You know, you need to play more complementary basketball, and if you can get better and come more consistent production out of Russell, Russell, uh, Deandre Russell as a starter point guard, Austin Reeves is a, is a coming off the bench as a shooting guard, and Rui Rui coming off the bench slash pseudo starting as a small forward you you can get that. And I think that's indicative of how they played the jazz uh last night when they got uh I think they ended up winning by forty. <laughs> they ended up winning about forty and they uh and they got solid production off the bench. And they got double digits from their entire bench practically only person that wasn't double digits was uh was Max Christie. He didn't because he didn't play it but twenty five minutes. Uh him and Cam Reddish didn't score and where Cam only played five minutes. But, um, but Antonio Prince, he had four. But yeah, most people had, you had Austin Reeves with 19. You had, uh, you had, uh, Jackson Hayes with 10. You had Christian Wood with 16. You had Rui with 12. Uh, D'Angelo Russell, seven and nine from the field, three or four from three, 20 points. Anthony Davis, tw- 20 and 16, 26 and 16. So that's what you need. You need guys that can play common and basketball. LeBron has, has them to be, you know, a superstar every night for them to, for you to win games and, and be able to, uh, Honestly and truly understand what it need is going to be needed to play team basketball and win glowingly as a team. I think that's what's really what it boils down. So you have to get that done. If you don't get that done, you know, and you can't honestly and truly because this is the measuring stick. If you can't beat a, a four slash five C team without LeBron playing heavy minutes, you're not where you're, at. you're not where you need to be as a team. And I think they proved that. You know, with the Jazz being a you know pseudo decent team and they're struggling a little bit right now, but they have good talent on their team. I think that if they can if they can get production like that from their supporting cast, AD leading the way, then they'll be fine. So LeBron can pick his spots and be good when he needs to be, but he doesn't have to be good every night in order for you to win games. But but that's been a case up until now. And I think part of it is getting healthy, Gay Vincent coming back, Gerald Villanueva coming back, add to that getting better on defense. Um, in the early parts, in the middle of the game, is going to be paramount as well. But I think that those those two things need to happen being better get what well, three things getting healthy or getting uh better on defense in the early part of the game in the middle part of the game because they've been down several games in this early season where they've been down and had to fight their way back in the second third and fourth quarter just to be in the ball game can't have that you know like LeBron got to come in and play heavy minutes to save the day practically either facilitating or scoring and you shouldn't not and sh- you shouldn't want to have to allow him that heavy to play. Uh, solid basketball. So that being said, those things need to change. If you change that consistently and it happens on a night in on and night out basis, the team's going to be where it needs to be. Come on, I'll start breaking and they'll be hitting and rolling on all cylinders. And the next time they play the Nuggets, it should be a different ball game. But that's the bar. That's the bar, we, that's the bar we're setting. And that's the bar you're trying to reach in order to knock the champs off, you know, in order to be able to understand that you can compete and, uh, and hopefully win the West. But we'll see. We will see. So yeah, so that's my legacy take on it. Like I said, LeBron is is who he is, and he needs to be you know honest appreciated at this point, and and not so much, uh you know to the point where you browbeat him for you know, uh, you know, I guess you can say, you know, non good faith arguments. To have non good faith arguments is to why you hate him, or just hate him because he's going to knock your best, your favorite player down a peg. It's just it's, it's unfair. It really is unfair. So. I so the LeBron. Keep doing your thing, and hopefully, the Lakers can heed uh, my uh, suggestions to get better as a team. All right. So, it's talking about a team that has, isn't getting better as a team, the Golden State Warriors. The Warriors are struggling right now. They are really struggling right now. Um, and I think it's, it's time to ask the question: Is it over for the Warriors as we know it? Because um, I had my reservations about how the team was constructed going into the season. And um they kind of fooled us a little bit when it came down to the idea of who they were. A little bit. Because um, you know, they they were they ran they ran off a of, you know a good little stretch of, of games um, you know, early on. And they were, you know, they were in they were in a hunt, I guess you can say, um, in regards to uh, you know, being an early contender in the West. I think they won one, two, three, four, five out of their first six. And uh uh six out of their first eight. So they were yeah, they were six and two uh at, at as of November sixth. Um, but since then they've lost uh six straight, and now they're six and eight. So yeah, it's it's rough. It's rough. It's rough. And like I said, um I believe that uh you know the way the team is currently constructed with the Chris Paul move and and Clay's uh play and Draymond's antics. You know, and, and that bench, or lack thereof, was, is an issue, or and it still is. Um, you know, so the idea of them, you know, jettisoning Jordan Poole and things of that nature, and I imagine Jordan Poole isn't doing himself any favors in Washington either, but I think the idea of them being a team that, you know, is in the conversation of contender, I think that time might be passing. Uh, and I think that, you know, Clay Thompson's play is not going to do him any favors in contract negotiation because he's looking for an extension. And I, I don't truly believe that they are going to be where they can, are currently constructing. Let's think, somehow, some way, make a move of some sort to better their bench and better their uh their starting group. It's not gonna happen for you. It's not gonna happen for you. And I think that as much as I love Steph, um, in particular, and I love Clay as well, um, have a have a soft spot for Chris Paul because he just can't seem to, uh, you know, win win enough to be you know truly respected as a top. Point guard in, in in all of basketball, but you know I I just really believe that it might be it might be over for them in all honesty. Like I said, you know because Draymond's and is you know Clay's regression and likely not getting extended. Um, this might be it because if he doesn't come back, and I I would like to believe that you know with you breaking up that trio, you know Draymond, you know is they're gonna we're grow tired of his antics and things of that nature, and um. And I think their biggest and most glaring problem is that they're too highly reliant on Steph Curry to win basketball games. I really believe that, and I do believe that 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 short of that, and and you can kind of see it when he went out for a game and a uh, two games. I think he missed uh, with a little bit of a knee issue. They struggled. They struggled. And one and one of those games was the Minnesota game where they had an altercation where Curry was not in the game. He didn't play. You know, and uh, <laughs> Rudy Gobert made the comment about Draymond Green saying that. He does these type of things because he don't want to play without Steph, because he knows they don't have, they don't have a, a snowball's chance to hell of winning a game without Steph. Like basically, what he was losing, looting to which, in you know, certain spaces, certain cases, he might be right. No Steph, no, no, uh, no wins. You know, I mean, just be real about it. At least they had that dominant force on the court, right? But I mean, you can see it for yourself. I mean, look at look at the look at the schedule and look at what they've done uh, up to now. Um, it's not great. Like I said, they ran off, you know, they were six, they were five and one, and five and two, they ended up being six and two uh over the first eight games, and then they've lost six straight. And they're six and eight now. Um, and if you look at the high point man, Curry's been a high point man in every game uh up to uh September the November 12th, and he went out with injury. Uh, and then the next three games were uh, different. You know, he, two games he missed, and Wiggins had a 31-pointer on Saturday, but they all—they lost all those games. They lost all those games. So you have no shot of winning games at all unless he goes crazy. The games he won, he had 41, 24, 42, 21, 30, and 34. The games they've lost, you know, he had he had a 30-point game in there, uh, a 28-point game, but again, he's not Herculean, and, and, they, and, and they aren't knocking down shots from their starting group. It's rough. It's rough sledding. And and I hate to break it to you, that these young boys in in the West aren't getting any. are getting any uh, worse for the wear. (laughs) The Kings are ripe and ready. The Thunder are kicking ass, and the Timberwolves, surprisingly to my surprise, are doing well in this early part of the season as well. And uh, they're matchup problems for all three of those. All three of those teams are matchup problems for the Warriors in certain facets. I mean, the Kings are just matchup problems, period. And they got this bad blood with them because they knocked out the playoffs last year. The Thunder just um uh just t- one to five an issue in young when Chet Hunger playing, you know, like we thought he might be as a top, you know, five pick. The Timberwolves with Ant Man and Bear and and uh and a cat playing out of his mind right now. It's a rough ass, man. It's a rough ass. They lost to the Timberwolves twice and lost to OKC twice in the last four games. So that tells you, out of those guys, they not they're not ready for prime time when it comes to playing those guys. So I hate to break it to you Warriors fans, but I, I think the dynasty might be over, man. <laughs> I'm just gonna keep it real with you. I'm just gonna keep it real with you. So hopefully, you know, things will, you know, change and get better. Um, but shorter than making a move, I don't see I don't see this Warriors team doing anything, I guess you can say, you know, anything better than being a playing team, you know, maybe completely out of the playoffs that are all together if if things don't shape up some kind of way in and for sure clay thompson's got to start playing better if clay thompson the, the catalyst of this whole thing for them playing any better basketball is clay thompson if clay thompson cannot be their second score because they have nobody else besides him that, that has the prowess to put up with numbers if clay thompson does not play better through this stretch leading up to the all-star break it might be a wrap it just might be a wrap So we'll see how things go but I don't have high hopes the way it's currently constructed and hopefully the front office is thinking what i'm thinking and they might need to trade somebody at some point you know draft capital player whoever You know, maybe they can get something for clay because they don't feel like they don't feel like they're going to extend them and try to make a run but you know i, I would argue that breaking up the band might not be good either i think they, they're a package deal so if they're not together they're not effective but you know it remains to be seen we'll see that's my wrap up for the NBA, man. Like I said, the Lakers, you know, I'm looking for them to you know take steps in the right direction. Um, looking like the playing tournament is, is really going well for them, and I do believe that they are starting to gel, and I can't wait to get Vanderbilt back on the court as well as Gabe Vincent, and hopefully we can get these guys on the court and start you know shoot better from the outside and things of that nature, and playing better defense and uh, not being so reliant on LeBron, um, to carry you uh night and night out as if he's 25 years old, then. We'll be better off because we got the talent. People just got to play better. And the Warriors, ah, I hate to see it happen to you, man. But I think it's over. I really do think it's over. But we'll see. We'll see. All right. So let's flip over to the NFL. Right, that is our ad for the Lightning Fast Fantasy Football Podcast, airing each and every Wednesday at 9.30 Eastern Standard Time. We are pre-recorded this week, as much like the podcast is, uh, because of the holiday. Uh, so that will go live uh, today at 5 o'clock. So uh, if you need the fantasy advice and need some uh, much-needed, you know, consulting when it comes down to your fantasy football team, uh, you need to get that uh that shirt, uh, you know, vibe that you want to, you know, make these moves and, and and get things done in fantasy. this we check that out. Uh, like I say, each and every week during the football season, we give our, our takes on the fantasy football world, and we give you our breakdowns of what we think is going to be good for the NFL week, and we come to fantasy football. And if you need those, need that advice and get things done in short order, trying to get that money, trying to get to that bag in fantasy football, check that out as always each and every week. So we're moving over to the NFL as we move on with the podcast, right? And this is where things get interesting for me. Uh, NFL is definitely a topic that uh that I had ready to go on my docket this week, and um we're gonna start with the the Los Angeles Chargers. We're gonna start there. Um, you know there is a lack of accountability going on uh, with the team and the head coach in particular, and I want to finally address it. You know I understand and I really get uh you know NFL coaching uh in in a breath. I mean I've been a I've been a player, I've been a coach in my lifetime, and I get it. You know, and I, t- I, tend to, I tend to give grace when it becomes comes down to coaching because it is hard, and it's even harder to coach defense in the NFL. But when you come down to the idea, of you have a lack of accountability and you don't honestly, truly be, you know, upfront and realistic about what's going on with you and your team, then that's why I draw the line. So it has been three years, you know, two and a half, almost three years with Brandon Staley being the head coach of the team. And I'm tired of being silent about the miscues and the fumbling and bumbling that's going on with this coaching regime. So it's time to it's time to air our grievances. I mean, it's, just, it's just time. It is time. No, no time like the present when you get on the podium and lie through your teeth about what the issues is, what the issues are when it comes down to the team. You refuse to take accountability for your actions, right? So lack of accountability to Brian Staley Stelleway. So uh you know if you are familiar with uh you know his regime I'm going to I'm going to break it down for you. I'm going to break it down for you in short order. Um you know it's it's a lot it's a lot that's been going on, you know when it comes down to this team right. It's a lot been going on, a lot of uh, things have gone wrong. Uh you know to to put it plain. Uh you know and I highlighted a few things on screen here. You know when it comes down to Brandon Staley and his uh inability to coach this team defensively, you know, it's it's been a myriad of things. So, he has sold the charges, you know, from the moment he got into the uh interview room on the idea that he can transcend this team and take it to uh heights that has never been before, which he's completely and totally underdelivered on. Let's just be real about it. You know, from the issues, you know, on the field to the to the Quirky play call and the quirky decision making, the quirky time management—it's it, it's, been—it's been—it's a, been, been a mess. It's been a myriad of issues, and and I have—if you line these things up in totality—I'm very surprised, very surprised that he has, and from normal standards, still have his job. I'm highly surprised. But there's not much that's gone right with him in his regime. It hasn't. It's not, you know. So. You get down to the idea of what has happened and what's been an issue, right? You know, and I, and I look, this is from a, a venue or, or a, a microscope of being a defensive-minded coach, right? I play linebacker, coach defense for a number of years, right? So I look at it from a NAP perspective and I've seen from the onset in the, in, in the inception of Brandon Staley's air quote scheme, it's been a problem. I've seen multiple issues with misalignments against heavy run fronts. I've been harping on that for a couple of years. The communications on defense has been a problem. In uh, and, and certain cases, and in a, and a lot of cases, I mean, I'm just I'm not going to sugarcoat them. In a lot of cases, I haven't seen the translation for, from sound, film, and tendency study of their opponents. Uh, again, lack of a sound fundamental technique on defense has been an issue across the board. And this is coming from... You know, rookies, middle-of-the-road guys, and and former pro ballers have had that issue. Uh, his ability to play soft coverage on 95% of his snaps on defense. And what I mean by soft coverage is playing off the receivers, 5, 7, 10, sometimes 12 yards, even on first and second down. So if if you as a unit are playing that far off wide receivers on early downs, what do you think they're going to do? Just, this is a quick, quick, quick quiz. They're gonna throw the ball short and get early yards and, and gain a, a multitude of yards on first down, which leaves them with second and third and short, which allows for better, higher and more consistent conversion rate. But yet again, I digress. 95% of the time he plays soft coverage on first on early, even on early downs. That third and long, that second and long, not first and long. First and ten. Soft coverage. Been bottom five and run Davis this whole year, her three year tenure. Out of five in total defense in in three years tenure. And in in this particular year, in 2023, he's been bottom tier at pass defense. Now, the pass defense has been his calling card. or has been his one thing he can wave his flag at for the first two seasons. The third season, that's been been the worst in the league as well. Has the second highest salary rate on defense in the NFL in the last two seasons, which means he's paying the most in salary cap on defense, the players that he wanted. The GM got for him and paid him they could, this air quote, going to fit this scheme. And he's, he get got a second highest salary cap rate on defense in two seasons. They had the bottom five defense in the league. Curious and questionable calls on fourth down. They have ultimately lost the Chargers games. They, they're either first or second at this very moment in, in games one, won or lost by three points or less. I think mainly lost. Mainly lost by three points or less. It's all, it's, it's all been due to a, a, the ability in the first two seasons of going forward or fourth down missing on fourth down and ultimately not kicking the field goal which could have won you a game early in the game, late in the game didn't matter curious fourth down calls the success rate hasn't been great the lack of conversion rate on those calls have been bad and you have ultimately lost games based upon those analytical, air quote, analytical decisions And to top it all off, in the last season, you blew a 27-point lead to the the Jaguars in the playoffs. 27-point lead. And no fast and no way a playoff team should lose a 27-point lead and and become back on and lose the game. Shouldn't happen. Shouldn't happen. But it did. So again, just on that that particular part, in that part alone, I'm, I'm flabbergasted by the fact that he still has a job. But I'll get into it at the end of this, I'll get into the in, in why I feel like why he has still has a job. I'll get into that. But again, I like the I use I, I like to give coaches grace because I understand it's hard. And it's even harder to play defense, especially with the rules the way they are now. But again, when, we, when we call it becomes clear to even casual fans of his faults, it's time to address those things. You know, so get into the weeds of the of it all. Most coaches have a basis and a foundation on why they upon which they build their philosophy on right Stella doesn't seem to have that you know some people come from the fans way of doing things you know it's a different a bunch of different coaching trees rex ryan the, i mean you can go through the multitude of years of coaching pedigrees and coaching philosophies and foundational things that you do foundational schemes that they run that you can base your offense your offense or defense on that that coaches have passed down throughout the years right because right now, the, clearly the Fangio system is a is a, is a a system of note. Everybody kind of hangs your hat on. If you're a Fangio disciple, you you pretty much can guarantee guarantee that you know what you're doing in certain facets, right? So, but again, where does Staley get his basis and foundation in his scheme from? I still, in in three years of watching this team, I still am not sure. I can't pinpoint, I can't find a point of reference of, to why or where he gets his basis or his foundation from. I'm not sure where he builds it from. Did he build it on his own? Did he build it in John Madden football? I don't know. But all I know is that it does not fit or does not match up or marry up with any known philosophy or scheme. I've not seen it yet, which could lead to the idea why this defense is so bad. But, you know, that's speculation. Also, most coaches have a a scheme or pedigree that they follow. You know, tendencies that they they follow. I still have not seen Staley follow any of that realm. Some coaches love to play man coverage. Some coaches love to play zone. Some coaches love the blitz. You know, like let's take Brian Flores for example. He loves to play, you know, double a gap, you know, nickel style, you know, defense. And he just he he builds and he, he draws the scheme up based upon those looks. It's all pressure looks. He looks like he's pressing you on every down. Whether he does or doesn't is 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 left up to question. But that's his scheme. That's his thing. That's his pedigree. He built his scheme and philosophy on that pressure package. I'm gonna, I'm gonna look like I'm pressuring you on every down. What it's up to you to figure out whether I am or aren't, and you have to diagnose that shortly. Because if I do pressure you, I'm gonna get home fast. If I don't pressure you, you gotta diagnose and figure out where the holes are. It's very, it's a very complicated, complicated scheme. It's why it takes a little while for teams to kind of pick up on Flores' system. But yet again, he has a system. He has an ideology that he follows. You know, I was, I've i yet to see what what Staley's scheme or pedigree is, his tendencies are. You know, does he like to play man? I, he doesn't like doesn't like to play man. Does he like to play zone? What type of zone? You know, is it again it's it's a lot of things. I mean, I can go through the weeds of all, all types of zone schemes and man schemes and cover schemes and, and coverage types. I can go through all of that. But I don't see it in Staley's uh play calling. I don't see it. And then he had the audacity to get mad at people about them questioning whether or not you should be calling the plays. It, again it doesn't match up doesn't match up that's very very much of a lack of accountability in this in this in this regard you know it also doesn't seem he also seems to follow an analytical ideology that does not translate to the field like he follows these numbers and these in these these charts and these in these you know these graphics and and these advanced analytics that say you should do things at a certain spot and it's like he follows that to a T and he follows that to a, to a fault and he follows it to the point where he can't get past it that's an issue because I don't care how the numbers dull out certain cases. this It's still human to human interaction here. Things are not always going to follow the numbers. A lot of times they don't follow the numbers in football. There's a human element to this. When you have a human element of this, the numbers are always going to be skewed. Always going to be skewed. But he seems to be married and, and, and handcuffed to these, to these analytical strategies and ideologies. And he does seem to want to deviate from it. Well, maybe he can't. Maybe he can't deviate from it. But regardless of the fact that he seems to be tied to this and he won't let it go. Won't let it go. Again, another problem I feel like he has, he does not he does not do basic things like feed into the player's strengths like most successful coaches do. Like If I know that I have a, a lethal pass rush, take the 49ers, for instance. I know I'm not you know, super stout on the back end of my coverage, but I got stout linebackers, I got great coverage linebackers in the middle, and I got a hell of five pass rush. I'm going to scheme my defense up to be able to get to the quarterback in short order with four and play coverage behind it. And that's going to make it very, very difficult for you, especially in the past game, to be successful. If I know that. If I know my team plays zone really well, but they now they don't marry up really well in man, I'm not going to play a lot of man coverage. I'm just not going to put them in, in a decimal spot because I know they don't do that well. And this is the case of point with the Chargers team. I don't. I feel like they've. They, this is the worst zone coverage team that we've had in the past three years. You know, they were much better with Drew Tranquil and a few other guys in the fold, in the lineup, at playing zone coverage when you had different personnel. But I feel like this particular personnel is good at man and man only. If they don't play man, they don't play well. You know, and I would say press man because if you don't play off coverage man, they still don't rally and, and aren't elite Jalen Ramsey like tacklers in the run game. In, or in the, in the short pass and tackling, you know, for for short mile gains, you know, facet, you know, you don't they don't do that well, you know, they're very very uh, specific man coverage corners. That's why they had a better success rate against the Chiefs in the second half because they just decided, you know, they're just gonna buck what Staley was saying and play man. They were going to check out whatever he was calling them to play man. If they did more, they probably would win more games. But yet again, you can't keep going against the coach with so much because you might get yanked and get sit down. You know, so you stuck with that particular aspect of it. But they shut the, the Chiefs down for the most part in the second half because they play man. That's what they do best. You know, I mean, sooner or later, they're going to figure you out and figure out how to beat you in man because they're going to do certain things on the offense. But you got to lean more into that. You can't play a myriad of zone when you don't play zone well. An off cover zone at that. You don't tackle well, you don't play zone well, why are you doing it? He plays a lot of zone. Again, don't no play at the player's strengths. Again, very passive style you know, in the way he approaches the game. Very zone dependent. And the team does not play zone well. You know, levels of all coverage is off-putting. Like I said, you know, you're playing if you're playing six, seven, eight yards off a receiver on all levels. You're 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 married up even on from a level perspective. If I got two receivers on one side and we both standing at eight yards away from the Right from the uh, receivers on both ends, they're going to throw a short pass and gain six, seven, eight yards every clip. And now we're second and short instead of playing at five or playing press on for early downs when I got safety help behind me, and and not allowing them to gain easy yards. Again, what are we doing here? Also, have a, a lack of of unique and and I guess you can say, um, or well thought out or or complex. Blitz schemes to free up players. That's another concern. You know, when you blitz a lot, of the success rate you have on your blitzes isn't high. You know, when you look at Spagnola and 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 a lot of coaches that have a high success rate when blitzing, Fangio, uh, I want to say uh, Flores and a few others have a high, really high success rate of blitzing because their blitz schemes are complex and unique, and they get home. They get a player free. At a lot of at a lot of cases. That's not the case with the Chargers. When they blitz five, six, seven, Derwin James comes off the edge a lot of times. People know it and they adjust to it. They don't get they don't get home. The pass rush is highly and delayed even when you send one four. It, it it's a it's a problem. It really is a problem. And again, I just really feel like that's an issue that has been prevalent for the whole entire time he's been here. You know, going back to my point about changing the fronts against the run. You know, being out of position has been a, a real big issue. You know, you have. You know certain cases where you have a, a short yardage situation and you're giving up an inside zone because you're misaligned to you know to the side where they're only can run to. And what I mean by it is this: they're in shotgun. The running back is on the left side of the offense. The whole entire line is also shifted to that side, which leaves a big gaping hole. And the only thing they can run is inside zone or 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 trap or something like that to the right side. There, everybody's on the left, including the defense. The running backs on the left. You only can run right from an inside zone or outside zone perspective, and you're completely, totally misaligned and got, got very little personnel on the side where he could run to on a short yardage situation. I've seen that happen multiple times, and he don't adjust. He don't adjust. because, And I feel like not only the fact that they don't adjust, they don't communicate well. He's not, he's not teaching them how to communicate his system properly enough for them to adjust when things change. It's because offense changes formation all the time. Very rarely do the teams come out of the huddle, break the huddle, line up on what they are, and run their play. They motion, they 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 shift, they change formations on the fly. You got to be able to communicate and adjust and play fast against it. I don't see that at all from the Chargers defense, and I haven't since barely said he's been there. And like I said, if the, the offense is giving you certain tells and things of that nature based upon film study, which I think they're not probably prepared for either. Changing and adjusting your coverage is based upon what the office tells you. You know, if we impress man and they and they're, they spread out wide, and we can play press man because they're two by two and they're wide. We can play press man that way. It's much, it's much easier to play press man that way. But if they evolution down to a bunch formation, we gotta modify our coverage and modify the zone, maybe or a matching type of scheme or a, a man passing off type of scheme in a bunch set, and maybe we lockable on man on the backside. But what you have to do is change. Your coverage based upon what they give you you can't just be locked into one thing and play it because you're going to get beat because the office get paid too they see you in a, in a man look they motion to something that's going to beat man more easily and run it if you don't adjust like they adjust you're going to get beat you're going to get beat it's similar to play it's similar play i mean it's, it's not rocket science here it's not rocket science here. it really isn't it really is not so holistically that's, that's my issues with Brandon Staley. And 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 the myriad of things that I've listed, like I said in the, in the top of this, I'm amazed that he still has a job. I'm amazed. You know, and I get why that is for the most part. And I've said this on multiple occasions. I'm going to say it again. The, the, the Spanos family gives grace to coaches way more, way more than most owners do. Way more, way more. They give them, they give them grace way more than they should. They don't fire, you know, short of three years in most cases. They don't fire short of three years. Now, while it is, it could be most of the things, but this is my take on it. The Spanos family are old and rigid. They live in an old old mindset when it comes down to managing the NFL team. You know, to give coaches a long runway, no matter how good or bad they're doing. You know, they don't, uh, the idea of them, you know, the cost of things isn't, you know, for the things of the things that have changed in cost, they, they haven't adjusted to. And what I mean by it is this the idea of paying coaches to what Sean Payton's getting paid, what, uh, oh, what, uh, what Mike, what, with Shane Steichen got paid, what, uh, with uh, Sean McVay's getting paid, what, with, with uh, Harbaugh's getting paid. They 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 it's it's unfathomable to them because they live by the old school, they live by the old ways. They're old and rigid. They're old and rigid. And 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 this will drive on my point about them being the old and rigid. Going back to when Brian Stiller first got hired, they interviewed Brian Dayball. Let's say hypothetically Brian Dayball won wanted $12 million a year as an office of minor head coach with them having a new, brand new franchise quarterback in-house. Brandon City comes in as a defensive minded head coach. Um, with way less pedigree and runway and coaching experience at the pro level than Brian Dayball has. But he came in and said, I want to only be paid, I'll take eight million dollars versus twelve. Brandon Brandon City wants eight. Brian Day wants twelve. We'll take eight. We can't fathom paying the coach twelve million dollars. Now, mind you, This is the type of uh, organization that makes, you know, hundreds of billions, close to, you know, billions of dollars a year. And you can't fathom the idea of writing a check for $12 million versus eight and getting a guy that you know has a long history of being very highly productive offensively. And it definitely can uh, lead a locker room and improve players' play, Josh Allen in particular. Josh Allen hasn't been the same since he's lost Brian Dayball. Took a giant team that with Daniel Jones and made the playoffs. That's not worth four more million dollars a year when it doesn't even count against the cap. Coach Allen doesn't even count against the cap. It's just money that you have in the house to pay coaches over the length of the deal. Like you're not paying him, you know, that amount of money. You know, just you know, I got to write a check for twelve million dollars right now, right, right here, right now. No, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do it at the time of of. Of how his deal was spread out. But again, they, don't, they can't fathom that idea of doing expensive things, You're paying for expensive coaches. So guess what? They're always gonna pick the cheaper guy and the less in, experienced guy, the less the guy that does is, isn't as is effective because they're just cheap, frugal, and make millions and hundreds of millions of dollars a year and don't wanna spend it. I'm sure they cringe every single day when they watch Tom Telesco and Brandon Stelly Formulate the amount of money they wanted to spend for J.C. Jackson, which, which, which was a mess. Would they have had to pay Cleo Mack, giving Joey Bosa his extension, paying Justin Herbert, you know, paying Keenan Allen and Mike Williams $20 plus million a year. It's cringy, but they feel like they would somehow, somebody, somehow some way they convinced them to do it, but I'm sure they shook their head and didn't want to do it at every turn. But they, Air Corps, trusting their GM. they Air Corps trusting their GM, and that's, it's where we're at. Where we're at. Because I I would argue. And this is my final point about this before I move on. That they completely and utterly blew this opportunity. Completely and utterly blew it. Because the net, the year of 2024 for the Chargers is going to be much different. You completely and utterly blew the idea of Justin Herbert being on a rookie deal. You blew it. You blew it within, within, within the net coaching. You blew it. Because he's going to get expensive and all the weapons and, and toys he has at his disposal now are going to be gone. And I'll touch more on that in my next segment as well. But that's that's what we're landing at. And 2024 is going to be much different than 2021, 2022, and 2023 were for the Chargers under Brandon Staley. But if they're smart, they need to cut bait and move on. They do. So moving on, we're um, going to do a segment called What a Shame. What a Shame. Uh, the Jets, the Seahawks, the Steelers, and the Chargers all have shameful stretches of football and in, in, in their organization at this moment. And for different for a myriad of different reasons. So I'm going to get into exactly what is the shame about each organization and, and in short order here. Um, but it's a travesty uh, to see things go to waste. It really is. I mean you hate to see things that nice and, and 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 wholesome to be wasted. You do. You know just a nice you know you nice a nice sandwich you know from a good sandwich place you hate to see it just sit on a a park bench and go to waste and rot and get nasty you know you would like to see somebody be able to benefit especially you know somebody that's less fortunate be better benefit from a sandwich maybe right you know if you don't want to give it to a homeless person so they can have a meal i mean come on you don't want to see things go to waste but we see you know and you talk about a completely different spectrum of these billion dollar organizations wasting away things that they shouldn't be and and this is and this is this is in case of point why Turn over the Jets. The Jets have wasted away a top five defense. It's one in, in a lifetime type defense on Zach Wilson. <laughs> they have literally invested in Zach Wilson to a fault. and Rodgers, to everybody's unfortunate uh, opinion, got hurt four plays into the season uh, in, in week one. It's unfortunate. You know, we pray this Aaron has a speedy recovery. But you wasted a top five defense betting on Zach Wilson. And why did you bet on Zach Wilson when you had to pivot from Aaron Rodgers? It's because you did not want to be wrong about picking him second overall at some point, you know. But the modus operandi was supposed to be that he was supposed to sit behind Aaron until Aaron decided he wanted to retire, and then he could take the reins. And by then, you hoped that he'd be more mature, more – uh, versed in playing quarterback and being your franchise quarterback going forward. That's what your hope was. But the truth of the matter is this. He's not ready. He's never going to be ready. And he's just not a good NFL quarterback. But you refuse to accept that because you don't want to be wrong about your pick. Coaches and, and owners and, and GMs do that all the time. A guy that you picked in, in, in high in the first, second round, you don't want to be wrong on him. So you give him every chance and every runway to be good when they're not. Because what you should have done is when the moment Aaron got hurt, picked up the phone, call Cam Newton, call Carson Wentz, call RG3 and got you a mobile S quarterback that can navigate this terrible O line and made plays for you. Because I'm here to tell you that defense was good enough to be highly supportive, but Zach Wilson came over the ball, ladies and gentlemen. He can't. We've seen Zach can't do it. He can't. He can't move the ball. We've seen it. And to the point now, he's got bitch. But it's too late. It's too late. And his team, his defense is wearing down. They're giving up points now. Buffalo, Buffalo, them, you know, pun intended in, in this past week. And they can't move the ball. And they can't score any points. I mean, Tommy DeVito has more touchdowns in his short tenure as the Giants quarterback as and then the whole receiving core of the Jets in, in 11 weeks of football. That's terrible. That's terrible. But instead of get, going out and get you a veteran quarterback, you know, that's sitting at home doing nothing and ready to play, been working out and, and and can get things done, you know, move around, improv, do all those nice things that a, a quarterback that of their stature can do at minimal dollars, you decided to bet on Zach Wilson and you wasted away a top five defense. It's terrible. It really is terrible. And, and it's completely utterly unwashable. And you think, that, you mean to tell me that Tim Boyle's going to change the, the fortune for you at this point? And you're hoping and praying that Aaron's come back? Let's be real. Aaron is an attention whore. Much as I, you know, respect his prowess as a quarterback, generational level quarterback, throwing the ball, he's an attention whore. He's a diva. He wants attention on him. There's no way in hell he's coming back to play with the team at any point. And if he tries to play on that air court and repair the Achilles, he's going to bust it again and be done f- for good. So you might want to save him from himself and let him sit out and play next year. That's what you should do. But yet again, too little, too late. Too little, too late it is a mess. It's completely unwatchable. In NFL, do us all a favor. Take the Jets off of any prime time or standalone games going forward. Flex them out. We don't want to see it. It is rough to watch. I don't want to spend two and a half, three hours of my life watching that garbage. I don't. I don't. And I'm set because that defense... Is transcendent. And then if certain quarterbacks in this league, i.e. Justin Herbert, although somehow another brand somehow another Brandon was figure out a way to foul it up. That him having that type of defense will definitely catapult him to the stratosphere. Any quarterback any elite quarterback, any elite quarterback that does not have a top five demons, give give Trevor Lawrence that top five demons right now, see what he does with it. See what he does with it. They go far in the playoffs, promise you. Promise you that. So yet again. Wasted. Wasted. Now, let's talk about Seattle. Seattle is wasting a top 10 roster holistically, offense and defense, on betting on Geno Smith. Now, I said when they decided to pay Geno Smith on, on, on many, my many podcast platforms and things that I have to speak on, that them betting on Geno Smith was a mistake. I said that his season last year was an outlier, although he had struggles at the back end of that season last year. It was an outlier. It wasn't a norm. We've had 10 years of runaway to see who Geno Smith is, who, mind you, let's look at this from this disrespect real quick. Geno Smith has never won a starting job outside of the Jets job for a year in his whole entire career. And I just think that because they had any better options. And then he got his jaw broke and then lost the job and never got it back. But he has a large sample size of not being able to beat out starting quarterbacks for any facet of any job up to now. And they were kind of stuck with him because they didn't have any better options, at least as a veteran presence. Because most teams, if you want to draft a rookie quarterback, you'll have a veteran quarterback in-house in house in case the rookie does not pan out to be ready right away. But they decided to bet on Geno Smith and even going doubling down and paying him a three year deal. <laughs> so you're stuck with him for at least another year. And you have three quality receivers, two quality running backs, a top 15 O line, top tier secondary, uh, uh, improving in, 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 transcending on on the way to transcending pass rush and in interior D-line. You know, when I got with Leonard Williams and trade, you, I mean, you got players. But your ceiling is Geno Smith. Instead of getting younger and any facet or trading up, for that matter, taking that draft capital that you got from the Russell Wilson deal and, and trading up to get a quarterback in this pass draft, you decide to bet on Geno because he had an okay year bad last year and it got me the playoffs. Again, that's your ceiling, and that's, let's be honest, you, That ceiling is there be, and only there because you are in a weak NFC. if, you're, if this Seahawks team was in the AFC, they not would not make the playoffs. Period. Would not. And now you get to the point where he's regressing and, and folding back into what he's been his whole career, and then you're stuck because again, you've all now granted they've hit on the picks that they've they've used in, in the Russell Wilson deal. They've hit on practically all of them from a personnel perspective. But that personnel void of a, a, a transcendent quarterback is nothing in this league, this, this day and time, in this league, in this time, in this moment, it is nothing. You get nothing for your for your investment. You got all these stuff players around you on cheap deals, and they can't get out of the first round of the playoffs because guess what? Your quarterback is special. Now you're stuck again because you have another draft class of quarterbacks coming out. is going to be l- legit. You could have five or six quarterbacks going on the first round. And you don't have any draft capital left to trade up to get one of these rookies anymore. You know, it's a surefire hit like a Drake May Kayla Williams S type player, Michael Penix, maybe, you know, um, Jane Daniels, somebody like that. You don't have the ability because you, unless you mortgage your future, which you could have, you know, ultimately, you know, took those, you know, taking those picks, knowing these kids wouldn't come out and you could have took those picks and, and, and bet on a high pick for the future. Kind of like what the bears didn't get in the Panthers pick you know going into this draft knowing what the draft is going to look like you're going to did that and look forward to the future and get your quarterback then but now you don't have the ability and you're going to be a playoff team so you're going to be picking in the middle rounds middle to late rounds uh in in the upcoming uh, draft anyway because of your record so i really think you completely utterly squander the idea of having uh, a a good quarterback come in and be and be uh a catalyst to take the team to the next level because again you don't have any you don't have many holes in the secondary the d-line the linebacker core O line, the receiver, you got it all. But your issue is your quarterback. And look at what Patrick Mahomes is doing with mediocre talent in the skill position level and a good defense versus what Joe Spiff is doing with great personnel and and a mediocre quarterback play. You switch those two. This, this Seattle team goes to Super Bowl and wins it every year. And, it, and it's all cheap. And it's all cheap. But yet again, that's the decision they made. And they doubling down and tripling down on it because they don't want to be wrong about paying, you know. And uh, I'm sorry to hear you tell you these folks, but Seattle fans, the front office got this one wrong. Sorry to tell you. Sorry to tell you. Moving on to the Steelers. The Steelers have a similar problem. They have a similar problem. They are wasting away a top-tier defense on Matt Canada and Kenny Pickett. Now, you know, at the recording of this, this actual day today that Matt Canada got uh, relieved of his duty. So which is interesting enough that we preface this by saying that we wrote this thinking that Matt Canada was gonna be the OC, but he got fired today. <laughs> like over well, Tuesday Tuesday morning. Let me say it that way. He got fired Tuesday morning. So he's no longer there. But you still have an issue with, with about Kitty Pickett being your quarterback. And I want you to understand something too about Kitty Pickett. You know, I understand that you're in a in a quandary in a sense, right? Because, you know, you were moving off of Ben and he was going to be dead money on the books for a year and you needed a cheap option at quarterback. But at the time frame that you were uh, in need of a quarterback, there were no good ones in the draft. There were no good ones in the draft, was it? You know, and 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 in hindsight, you, what you should have done is paid a veteran, like the guys I named before you, know, RG3, Cam Newton, Carson Wentz. You should have paid one of those guys for a year or two. You know, I think that would have been a better option than what than what the Seattle did by getting younger everywhere else and being good everywhere else and having me have a quarterback versus the Steelers because you know I think there's a whole different dynamic there. But again, you should have paid a veteran quarterback to be and have a more favorable option come up later than taking Kenny Pickett in the 2022 draft in the first, in the first round of all things. He's the only quarterback taking the first round, and there was a reason for that. You reached and everybody else didn't, and they didn't get they didn't have a hit rate on any of them. but Malik Willis, uh, Desmond Ritter, you know, even a few now. Brock Purdy is on that list as well. However, I feel like he's the system guy. Him not being in the Shanahan system, I think it's going to be completely different for him in different places. So I'm not counting him either. But there were to me, there were no viable franchise quarterbacks in the 22 and 2 draft. There were not. You know, so you pair pick it up with a bad OC, and you made the regression happen even faster. Um, you know, and that go back to my point about they're going to give him the runway to do as much as he possibly can to be bad <laughs> in my opinion, because he's a first rounder. So they will give him every chance, including maybe a fifth year option. If, if, uh, if things, you know, turn around somewhat with a new OC, but there's clear, a clear ceiling with Kenny Pickett. It's clear ceiling. He's not a franchise transcendent level quarterback. I would have had my bet and waited on, uh, Another quarterback in last year draft for this year, this year for sure. This would sure. have paid you know Carson Wentz or Cam Newton or RG3 for two years and then brought in a, a rookie and in, in the draft, uh, this coming season, this coming off season. That's what I would have done. But at this point, you stuck with Pickett, stuck with him for two more years, maybe a third. I don't know if you exercise fifth year option or not. And he's a, cl- it's a clear ceiling there, and I think they're lucky. And blessed to have Mike Tomlin as a Hall of Fame level coach because he's the only reason why they're going to continue to win ballgames is his, his level of coaching. That, that's that's just really the what it really boils down to because they will clear, it's clearly be either outside of the playoffs, barely missing it, or in the playoffs and barely making it for the next two seasons at least while, while, while picking us there. Because they have they have the talent as well. They're they're similar to what Seattle has. They have two good receivers. They got a great tight end to fire move. They got an improving and better line. Like Jalen Warren, who's a who's a late draft pick, who's hitting heavy, um, running the ball now, and and Najee Harris, and I mean Daryl Washington who's another great tight end, blocking and receiving. Got a got a top ten, top 5S defense. All wasted because Kenny Pickett can't be special. He just don't have he won't have that ability. They have that ability, so again, you're wasted away picking picket during that time frame when you should have just waited, got yourself a veteran for a couple of years on the cheap, and decided that they were going to wait for the right rookie, and they didn't, and they're stuck. So that's what the Steelers are. That's what the Steelers. Are. So Seattle and Steelers have the same affliction when it comes down to the idea of them being uh, held back by their uh, lack of a franchise quarterback. Now the Chargers are a different ballgame. This is like this is like to a point why I talked about them earlier about them wasting Justin Herbert's rookie contract under under qualified coaching, wasted away five years practically five years five years of him not of him not being able to take leaps and bounds with his quarterback play because the defense and special team have not complimented him even one iota of what he he deserves. One out of what he deserves. I mean, I can go on and on. I went on about it about Staley. I'm and I'm, I'm I'm trying to be brief about my rant here about what they've done as an organization. It clearly, like I said, clearly writing on the wall about Stanley, as I previously stated. But squandering a franchise quarterback, Rookie deal is a complete utter travesty of NFL justice. It really is. Now, you come to the realization too late now that Herbert is going to be expensive going forward. Right? You're going to lose weapons. You're already in cap hell before you even address the idea of who you keep and who you who, who you cut uh, in the 2024 season. So, Ken Allen's on the last year of his deal next year. He's expensive. Mike Williams on the last year of his deal next year. He's expensive. Both make it a plus $20 million. Quinn Johnson has the early bust, stench of being the bust on him. He has the early stench of being a bust on him. He really does. You picked him over Zay Flowers, Jordan Addison, Tank Dell, and a few others that are really playing really good football right now. Because he's tall and they're not. Wow. So next season, you're going to leave her with no weapons, a bunch of kids in the huddle. Because Austin Eckler's is on a one-year deal. Gerald Everett's contract is aspiring. Mike Williams, a off of injury. He's expiring. Maybe Ken Allen comes back on a cheap deal because he's one of the retirees a Charger. We don't know. But that's still only one person. Like I said, you're going to be in complete utter cap hell before you talk about anything as far as who you keep and who you don't. And it's largely due to the idea of restructuring to keep the team together this long while Kerber was on his rookie deal. And it didn't work out because your coaching was in, was uh, inadequate. And he gets to the idea of the J.C. Jackson tobacco, which adds to the cap hell that you're going to be in for the next three seasons. So you're not gonna be able to pay Eckler, not gonna be able to pay Williams, or ever going forward, and maybe not even out Kelly Alley. It all depends on what he feel like he deserves as a, as, a, as a number one receiver. Khalil Mack and Joy Bosa are both expensive, and and Joy Bosa can't stay healthy. They're 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 at about twenty million dollars, twenty five, twenty eight between twenty eight and twenty five million dollars per person. Another issue. So honestly, truly, the Chargers got some real decision to make here when it comes down to the idea of what they're going to do going forward. And like I said earlier, this team's going to be vastly different in twenty twenty four. You're going to be into a different phase because, again, Justin Herbert is going to be expensive, so all the people that you have around him you can't keep, you can't keep. And I think we all understand that it's clear that the coach needs to go. But I would look, I would look at it from this perspective too, because I mean, I, I'm not on the train that the GM needs to go per, personally. I'm not, I'm not. Saying fire the GM as well. I think Tom Susco's did a decent, not great job, decent job. Um, but I do think that, you know, before you jump and fire both, you have to understand that that if you do fire them and not allow, at least not allow Tom to try to clean up the mess that he's made and the cap situation for 2024, you're going to make the next GM's job a living hell. You really are. And try to manage and clean up all this cap hell that they put the the team in. In in 2024 is, is is not something that you want to sign up for as a new GM. It is not. You, you have your work cut out for you. And you and you could largely tr- truly get you fired before you make any ways because you spent too much time trying to clean up their mess. And it's like it's like the government. When the government, the, the current regime puts the, the economy in such shambles that the next regime got to spend the next two to four years trying to dig it out. So when people look at you from a performance perspective saying, well, you really haven't done anything, that's because I've been cleaning up the mess for two to four years. We just finally got back, you know, on even queue. Now we can do some things, but now my my job is up for up for, up up against up 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 again. It's, I'm I'm at risk of losing it. I'm I'm up again for re-election, so you know I, I don't have any leeway, this runway to say I could honestly said I could have done anything positive because again I'm too busy cleaning up everybody else's mess. So I think the team is in for a clear regression come 2024. It really is, um, and I feel bad for Justin Herbert. I really do because again. Gruber Charges fan, you know, you know, you know, Pacific West Kid, you know, Oregon Duck, you know, he's he deserves much better than what he's getting. And I don't not think so. I don't think at this moment in time, unless some miraculous thing happens where they can figure things out, that it's going to be any different in 2024. I really don't. I really don't. So we'll see, I think, shake out for the team, but I think they really truly need to be in, indicted in the NFL court to say they got, they ruined his rookie deal and the opportunity to go far and make waves on the rookie day while he was cheap. Now he's expensive and things are going to be different. That's just it. As I wrap this up, I want to talk about Joe Burrow real quick before we get out of here. Um, Joe Burrow is hurt again uh, for the season. Um, he has a wrist issue um, that is going to require surgery. You're going to leave him out for uh, the whole season. And this is the second time in his uh, five-year tenure that he's been hurt um for a large part of the season, if not the whole. So um I want to ask the question should the Bengals be worried? Should the Bengals be worried um about his injury history? Um you know and it's weird too because I, you know I had the opportunity to draft him in fantasy uh over in, in you know I had a him him and a few other options that were you know not as great but they were a solid tier they weren't his tier but they were solid tier and i had a lot of trepidation i literally went down to my, i counted down to the very last second before i selected joe Burrow because i had issues in in my spirit about his injury history it really it really stuck in my craw like normally based upon how good he is as a quarterback you, just, you wouldn't even blink about it like you just take him but his injury injury history gave me pause he had a calf issue in the camp and then now he has this issue where he's completely and utterly gone for the season and again, my spirit told me, do I really want to draft him? Do I really want to p- put myself through the option that he might not make it through the season? And he did. I was, My spirit was right. And look where we're at. I love Joe. He's a great quarterback when he's on the field, but the problem is him staying on it. I really do think the Bengals should be concerned going forward because you got to realize that they invested in Joe long-term. He got paid as well as Herbert got paid. They both got long-term deals, long-term expensive deals. I really believe that he's a general talent. He's a franchise talent, but he just has the issue of staying healthy. And if you look at it from a a, a breakdown of him being in college and him being in the pros, he's had a myriad of injuries in in the past five to six years. He had a hand wrist fracture, a chest wrist fracture in in college. He had had an ACL, MCL, and PCL tear in 2020. Uh, He had a finger dose location in 2021. He had a knee strain in 2022, a MCL sprain in 2022, a leg calf strain in in the summer of this year. And then he had a hand and wrist ligament tear. This past uh, week, and it was he now he's out for the season. I would be concerned. Now, who fault this is about regarding regarding his history? Anybody's guess. I'll blame the O line and the, their lack. Of, I, I I I ranted about this. I ranted about this um when he was first introduced as a starter as 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 being the number one pick for the Bengals. That I was very worried about Joe Burrow. The fact that they knew they were going to pick him. They had the first overall pick. They had the first overall pick for quite some time. Like from the end of the season to to April, they knew they had the first overall pick, and they did not do enough to address the O-line. The O-line was atrocious when he first got there. So him getting hurt and tearing his knee real bad was not far-fetched of an idea. And he did not deserve that. I was really pissed at the organization for that. It did him a disservice by doing that. But he bounced back, took him to the Super Bowl, although they lost it. And you're like, okay, we all all systems go now. We're we're fine. But again, what happens though when Talent can't stay on the field? That's the issue. So again, if Joe Burrow's not on the team, they're a top 10, they're drafting the top 10. That, that's where it boils down to. That's what it boils down to. Joe Burrow's not nice being on the field, they're a completely other different team. And we're gonna see it. Now you know Logan Browning or whoever this new, this backup kid is, you know he's going to give a good college try. But he's not Joe Burrow. He's not Joe Burrow, and I do believe, truly believe that they are a completely different team. Now they they have a the, the team with him on the field that can honestly and truly compete with anybody. And I think they were showing it. They were finally just getting right and healthy and getting together, chemistry wise, where they want to make a run. Now, I think they were the biggest threat to the Chiefs repeating. Um, clearly, we don't believe in the Bills. The Miami can't be good teams. Uh, the Ravens had a good defense, but until Lamar proves to me in the playoffs that he can win playoff games, I'm not a believer. Trevor Lawrence's defense is, is, is non-complimentary. I don't believe in them. So, the, that just leave the Chiefs. I think the Bengals, where they currently constructed how good how good they are on defense and how well Joe Burrow conducted offense, they were re- going to be a real big problem for the Chiefs in the playoffs. I do believe that. But Without Joe Burrow, that's 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 none avoid. That's none avoid. And I don't think that outside of the Ravens, again, Lamar has to prove it to me, there's no team that could beat the Chiefs. They too they're too well coached, they have too two good of a quarterback. Even though they are struggling on offense, I think their defense is gonna hold them down and they're gonna score enough and do enough. to win ball games in the FC. Now, where they play in the MC, it might be a struggle. I mean, if they play the 49ers, the Eagles, or the Cowboys, or somebody like that. Um, even the Lions, you know, because we saw what the Lions did some week one. I think that they will have, they will struggle against those teams in the NFC uh, if they play any of those teams in the Super Bowl. But I don't think the AFC path is is really clouded for them in this moment, based upon who's left. But this issue with Joe Burrow being hurt, man, that's that's a problem. And again, you've already invested one time in him, and and they have to do what they can to protect him, or protect him from himself, and hope that he can stay healthy. Because again, if he cannot stay healthy, that that's an issue him and if he takes one more critical injury or long term injury that's going to shorten his career because you got to look at it from a large, large perspective and I talk about this about Justin Herbert his contract is done T Higgins is going to be due soon and so is Jamar Chase Their are looming. so you have to make a decision on them and Joe Burrow's contract is going to factor into how much you can pay them so I don't know I don't know. I, I think that they brought in a backup and can get Zach Taylor with time with them and allowed them to work with uh, the quarterback and 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 hopefully they can figure out somebody like an RG3. I'm still advocating for him to get a job um, based upon his ability to be staying in shape and how well he can throw the football and how well he can move. Um, I think that, you know, with that online and that wide receiver room, they, that could save them this season. But nonetheless, we have to address the elephant in the room that Joe Burrow's injury history is a problem. And I think he's one more in large time, large big time injury away from his career being shortened. I mean, anybody uh can reference Andrew Luck's issue and his 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 career being cut short is is being a is being a reference point. You know? But we have to understand that we have to put, you know, two season two season in the injuries on his jacket at this point. He and can he sustain his franchise going forward for the next 10, 12, 15 years. You know, because we really could have had, or should have, at this very moment, a Brady-Manning-like modern-age war between Burrow and Mahomes. But Burrow can't stay healthy. You know, like I said, I'm, I'm a firm believer in the fact that they would have met in the playoffs. Them, the Chiefs and the Bengals, and it would have been an epic matchup. And I think Joe Burrow could have usurped uh, uh, Mahomes in this fast and got to the Super Bowl. But we won't see it this year, because clearly he can't stay on the field because he, he is hurting and, 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 you know, I'm, I'm not going to say and indict him as if he's brittle, but he just has the bad luck of being injured. And I think Buck had the same thing. He just had a bad luck of being injured. He got beat up early because all oh, I was terrible, and when he finally fixed it, he was too banged up to sustain the level of play that he needed to be a franchise quarterback, and he forced early retirement. You know, I hope that's not the case for Joe Burrow. I really don't because I really love watching him play for football, football as a quarterback, but you have to be honest with yourself and say that he has an injury history at this point, and and if he does not, you know, stay healthy for longer stretches at this point, it's going to be a short, shorter career than we want to see from him. So I wish him all the best. I really do. And I love his talent, and I hope that he gets back. But he just hate to see years squandered because, again, this is another r- rookie deal, you know, scenario where he's still in his rookie deal. His decision doesn't kick into next year, and they squandered it. And what are they are going to do with, with the receiving court? They're not going to be able to keep it all together. You know, they may find themselves drafting another guy to kind of replace one or two guys, but then you gotta marry him to the system. So I don't know. I don't know. But I wish Joe all the best, man. And I hope that he can uh you know get back on the field and 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 show what he can really do and stay healthy, man. Um because they've they've gotten better on the online perspective, they have, but he has not uh been able to stay on the field long enough for them to really cash in. That's the issue. The issue. So That's to wrap it up on me this week, man. I appreciate everybody coming through, man, Listen to this podcast this week and getting back to a little bit of old school feel and format this week. And, uh, you know, we'll be back next week with our normal uh, way of doing things for sure. Um, Like I said, we'll get back to, um, you know, doing our sport talk next week on Tuesday, uh, 9 p.m. We're going to do Wild West podcast at 7.30 on Wednesday, AFC West podcast, and the Lightning Fast Fantasy Football podcast at 9.30 on Wednesday. 30-minute lockdown back on next Thursday, and we'll be back to normal uh, normal business. So uh hope everybody has a good Thanksgiving. Hope that, you know, you enjoy your time with your family, your time off, and whatever you need to do, recharge your batteries, and get ready for Christmas season. And we'll be back next week with another video. But in the meantime, in between time, I'm your man, Coach D. until next week, I'll see you when I see you. Step up. And lock it down.